You're listening to the sermon podcast of North Valley Baptist Church. This week's message is preached by Pastor Scott McGrady. Well, if you would take your Bibles and turn to 2 Timothy chapter 2, we'll be looking at verses 3 through 7. 2 Timothy chapter 2, verses 3 through 7. Charles Spurgeon, when preaching not on this text, uh, but on Matthew 25 and the parable of the talents, he points out that the one who was given five talents and was faithful with them and so gained five more for his master received the same reward as the one who had been given two talents and was faithful with them and so gained two more for his master. And he explains this by painting a picture of what it may have been like when George Whitfield entered into heaven. And he compares this to uh, a story of, of if this poor, faithful, unknown girl entered into heaven. And he tells this story from the perspective of heaven, of one there in heaven. And so he begins by saying, Here comes Whitfield the man who stood before 20,000 at a time to preach the gospel, who in England, Scotland, Ireland, and America has testified the truth of God and who could count his converts by thousands, even under one sermon. He comes, here comes the man that endured persecution and scorn and yet was not moved. The man of whom the world was not worthy, who lived for his fellow man and died at last for their cause. Stand by, angels, and admire, while the master takes him by the hand and says, Well done, well done, good and faithful servant. Enter thou into the joy of thy Lord. See how free grace honors the man whom it enabled to do valiantly. Hark, who is this that comes there? A poor, thin-looking creature that on earth was a consumptive, a I had to look that word up for the record. Uh, in short, she was sickly. There was a hectic flush now and then upon her cheek, and she lay three long years upon her bed of sickness. Was she a prince's daughter? For it seems heaven is making much stir about her. No, she was a poor girl that earned her living by her needle, and she worked herself to death. Stitch, 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 from morning to night, and here she comes. She went prematurely to her grave, but she is coming like a shock of corn fully ripe into heaven, and her master says, Well done, thou good and faithful servant. Thou hast been faithful in a few things. I will make thee ruler over many things. Enter thou into the joy of thy Lord. She takes her place by the side of Whitfield. Ask what she ever did, and you find out that she used to live in some back garret down some dark alley in London, and there used to be another poor girl came to work with her, and this consumptive child told her about Christ. She used to say, oh, Jane, I wish you loved the Savior, and when Jane was not there, she used to pray for her, and when she was there, she prayed with her, and now and then when she was stitching away, read a page out of the Bible to her, for poor Jane could not read. 
And with many tears, she tried to tell her about the Savior who loved her and gave himself for her. At last, after many a day of hard persuasion and many an hour of sad disappointment and many a night of sleepless, tearful prayer, at last she lived to see the girl profess her love to Christ. When she was in the hospital, she used to have a few tracts and she used to give them to those who came to see her. She would try, if she could, to get the women to come around, and she would give them tracts. When she first went into the hospital, if she could creep out of bed, she used to get by the side of one who was dying, and the nurse used to let her do it till at last she got too ill. And then she used to ask a poor woman on the other side of the ward, who was getting better and was going out, if she would come and read a chapter to her. Not that she wanted her to read to her on her own account, but for her sake, for she thought it might strike her heart while she was reading it. At last, this poor girl died and fell asleep in Jesus. And what more can an archangel have said to her? She hath done what she could. As you look at this, and we, we see Spurgeon compare George Whitfield to an unknown girl, whether she was a real girl or he, he made up the story to make the comparison, I don't know. The point is, though, though Whitfield had his thousands of converts and had truly great reward in heaven, though this girl may have only had one convert as far as the earthly perspective could know, yet she had just as much a reward in heaven as Whitfield. See, whatever... God has called us to, whatever opportunities he has given to us. It is not a question of how much we have and how great those opportunities are, but how faithful are we with them. However great and however much we accomplish, that really is up to God. But with what he has given us, what will we do? Will we be faithful? That's what he calls us to. Not success according to the world's measure of success, of numbers and money and all these other things that we can think about, but are we faithful with what God has given us? Living faithfully as we long for the day when we stand before our Lord and receive our reward and hear those words, well done, good and faithful servant. That's success. Hearing those words from our Lord not because of our own strength or what we could do in of ourselves, but because of the grace that he has given us to be faithful, because of the strength that he has provided for his glory. Last week, we read Paul tell of those in Asia who had deserted him as he was in prison. And he said that, and we said at that time, that that may have been the catalyst for what caused Paul to write this letter to Timothy to encourage him to remain faithful. And so then we saw Paul point to a faithful servant of the Lord, Onesiphorus, someone both Paul and Timothy knew. And this man uh, was an example of faithfulness, and so he, he could be used by Paul then, and as Paul did determine to use him, to encourage Timothy to remain faithful. And then Paul, having mentioned those who deserted him and having pointed out Onesiphorus to Timothy, he drew a conclusion from these men, uh, both the unfaithful and the faithful men. 
And that conclusion was that Timothy was to be strengthened. We we read there in chapter 2, verse 1, Paul said, You then, my child, be strengthened by the grace that is in Christ Jesus. And we discussed how Timothy was charged with being strengthened, yet it was God who would strengthen him. That the strength would not be found in Timothy himself. God would strengthen Timothy by his grace, that same grace by which God saved Timothy, the grace that is in Christ Jesus. And being strengthened, Paul was seeking to pass the baton of his ministry on to Timothy as Paul was sitting in a Roman cell waiting for execution. And so he commanded Timothy to take what he publicly heard from Paul and entrust it to faithful men who would then turn around and teach it to others as well. And as we continue here then this morning and pick up the text where we left off, Paul then turns his attention back to the main idea of remaining faithful. And we see here in this passage what faithful ministry looks like. And what does it look like? Well, we see in this text, one, it looks like a good soldier. It looks like an athlete who competes by the book. And it looks like a hardworking and patient farmer who will reap a harvest. And so let's look at our passage here for this morning to see these things. 2 Timothy chapter 2, again reading verses 3 through 7. Share in suffering as a good soldier of Christ Jesus. No soldier gets entangled in civilian pursuits since his aim is to please the one who enlisted him. An athlete is not crowned unless he com- competes according to the rules. It is the hardworking farmer who ought to have the first share of the crops. Think over what I say, for the Lord will give you understanding in everything. <clears throat> so after commanding Timothy to be strengthened, and as Paul passes the baton of his ministry on to Timothy, the very next thing we see Paul command Timothy is there in verse 3, share in suffering as a good soldier of Christ Jesus. And so once again, in this letter, we see Paul calling Timothy to share with him in suffering in suffering for the gospel, in suffering for Christ. And like we said last time, when we saw Paul call him to this, that suffering for Christ, suffering for the gospel, means being faithful. And so again, that's what Paul is calling Timothy to, to remain faithful. And remaining faithful means he will suffer. And Paul says, suffer then as a good soldier of Christ Jesus. By suffering because of his faithfulness, Timothy would enter into the warfare and take up the fight for the Lord. And so something we must recognize as we look to the scriptures is that the Christian life is warfare. It is. Battling against the temptations of our flesh, the world, and the devil, standing faithful even as the world comes against us and pressures us to do otherwise. We see Paul... uh, Speaking to the Ephesians, in Ephesians chapter 6, he told them to put on the full armor of God so that they may be able to stand against the schemes of the devil. And he says why there in Ephesians chapter 6, verse 12. He says, For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against the rules, uh, rulers, against the authorities, against the cosmic powers over this present darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. And so Paul in this calls 
the Christians there in Ephesus to put on the full armor of God. And, and as you go through that passage, you see that he's using the armor of a Roman soldier as his illustration. A Roman soldier needed his full armor. If he was going to go into battle, if he was going to last any amount of time in that battle, if he was going to go any distance, he would need his full armor. And we too need the full armor of God to wage the warfare. You see that armor that, is, that consists of truth, righteousness, readiness in the gospel of peace, faith, salvation, and the word of God as we pray at all times in the Spirit. And so as we see here in 2 Timothy and, and there in Ephesians 6, these, these, this wartime language, that's not the only places in Scripture that we see this. Uh, we see Paul talk like this in 1 Corinthians chapter 10. In Philemon, in that letter there, uh, he mentions Archippus, our fellow soldier. And we saw in 1 Timothy, Paul called Timothy to fight the good fight of the faith and wage the good warfare. Again, we must see that the Christian life is spiritual warfare. We need to understand that. As we fight against sin and the temptations of our own flesh, as we proclaim the gospel for the sake of souls and the glory of our Lord, as we serve our Lord in enemy territory, living for our Lord exposes us to the attacks of the enemy. And a good soldier cannot run from the battle's fray but he takes a stand with his brothers in arms. And therefore, the idea of a good soldier means commitment. It means dedication. It means sacrifice and discipline. And it means an undivided loyalty. And we see that in verse 4 when Paul says, No soldier gets entangled in civilian pursuits since his aim is to please the one who enlisted him. A soldier on active duty... Uh, does not get entangled in the things uh, that will take him away from his duties. He does not get wrapped up in the things that civilians get wrapped up in, uh, not business affairs or side jobs or, or even relationships. The Roman soldiers, uh, when they were called up and, and that time that they would be active, they, they, they couldn't be married. They were, not, they were single men because they had to be focused on their orders. The soldier has to be, therefore, one who is loyalty, has loyalty, is dedicated, and has a singular focus. So we should think then, how, how does this then illustrate for us what it is to be a follower of Jesus Christ? Well, uh, this does not mean that the Christian does not involve themselves in day-to-day -day things. Of course we do. But this does mean that we should not be doing things that would take us away from the task that God has called us to. That we should have a, a singular focus, just as a soldier whose aim is to please the one who enlisted him. So to our aim should be to please our Lord who has enlisted us. All of us, in each of the ways that we serve, should be so dedicated to pleasing our Lord in how he has called us to serve him. I mean, what is the true Christian's greatest desire above anything else? It is to please his Lord. That's his desire. And as a church as well, together. You know, there are many things as a church we can get ourselves involved in that we could be doing. 
Things that in of themselves are not wrong and are not bad. But if they get in the way of what Christ has called us to as his church, if they get in the way of our mission as his church and our individual service to Christ, then we haven't been faithful. We have not made our aim and our devotion to please our Lord. Now, this, is, this was the issue that we see in Acts chapter 6 when we went over it in Sunday school. Now, the apostles were not going to neglect their duties to serve tables. Uh, serving tables was important. Seeing that everyone got what they needed, that, that was important. And so there needed to be those men who, who were rising up to, to handle those things and take care of it. There had to be those who made sure everyone got what they needed. But if the apostles were the ones doing those things, then it would take the apostles away from the assignment the Lord gave to them. And they, like good soldiers, had to be focused on fulfilling their marching orders. So let me ask, what are your marching orders? How do you serve the Lord? Uh, what can be such a priority that it gets in the way of what our marching orders really are? Could it be something like TV or entertainment of, of any sort, a hobby, uh, the kids' extracurricular activity, or, or, or anything else that, again, gets in the way of our, our time in studying God's Word, uh, in training up our children in God's Word, and, and in the, the discipline and the admiration of the Lord? What gets in the way of, of serving and leading in our homes, of evangelizing and serving and gathering with the church? Again, uh, these things that uh, we involve ourselves in our lives, they can be good things, uh, things that, that uh, are not bad or wrong. But again, if they distract us from our mission, if they become the priority over what God has called us to, then we are not being faithful to our Lord. We're not serving faithfully. But more and more, we must become focused. More and more, uh, we must be living with our aim and service to please our Lord. And, <clears throat> excuse me. And the more we find ourselves doing that, the more we find ourselves with this singular aim in our lives, the more we will find ourselves in opposition to the world. And so, as a good soldier, we must be willing to suffer. And so we must be disciplined. Remaining focused on our orders, however God has called us. Willing to suffer as a good soldier of Christ Jesus. Whether it's our calling and serving within the church. Is our aim in that to please the Lord? Or is our aim to please other people? Or is our aim to please ourselves and get the pats on the back for whatever we do? What's our aim? What drives what we do? Are we more concerned about what other people think about us, or are we concerned about what the Lord thinks of us? Do we, do we function and serve out of the fear of man, or out of the fear of the Lord? Or what about whatever our job is outside the church? You, Christian, whatever you do, whatever your job is, you do not have a secular job. 
There's no such thing as a secular job for the Christian because whatever the Christian does, they do it in service to their Lord. They are serving their Lord in the place that they work. So we have to recognize that, that no one just works, no Christian just works for a paycheck. But they work to please their Lord in all that they do. And so is that how you see your job? In your respect and your submission to your boss, in your work ethic, in how you interact with those you work with, uh, in looking to take opportunity to share the gospel with those around you. Who are you aiming to please? Is it you? Is it your boss? Is it your coworkers? Or is it God above all else? Is your aim to serve your commander? To be loyal and dedicated with the singular focus of pleasing God as his soldier. Then the next thing we, we see here, Paul compares a faithful ministry to an athlete who competes by the book. Uh, the word for athlete here in verse 5 is really a verb that means to struggle, like struggling in a competitive contest. And so athlete is right. That's what it's referring to. But as looking at the verb, uh, many point out that this should show us and give us understanding that there is no room for spectating. So in other words, if we're going to run with this analogy, faithful ministry is not a spectator sport. It calls for our involvement. It calls for our work. The greatest of athletes, one who is endowed with such great natural abilities, even still can only win when he participates by the rules. In the ancient Greek games, which is what would be in reference here, in order to compete in those games, one had to train for at least 10 months beforehand. And then they had to swear before Caesar that they met those qualifications. And then, in whatever competition they were in, they had to compete according to the rules of that game in which they were competing. And so in other words, there were specific things that the athlete had to do. So that no matter how hard he competed, if he did not compete meeting the requirements, he would be disqualified and could not win the crown wreath. And that's what the competitors would win in ancient Greece. They would win this wreath that was placed on their head. That, that's what they were competing for. So as we see there in verse 5, it says the athlete, he cannot win unless he competes according to the rules. And so again, in what way then does this show us what it means to be a faithful servant to our Lord, to, to, to live out the Christian life? Well, to compete at such high levels as athletes did, that takes discipline and dedication. The contest in which the Christian struggles, uh, the Christian must also be disciplined and dedicated. And so in that, the believer must run 
in holiness, practice self-control in all that he, he thinks and in his, in his emotions and in his actions as well. And they must remain steadfast under suffering. This is what the Christian must do to run the race for the crown. To not be disqualified from the race. To remain faithful and finish the race. The Apostle Paul in 1 Corinthians chapter 9, verses 24 to 25, he said this. Do you not know that in a race all the runners run, but only one receives the prize? So run that you may obtain it. Every athlete exercises self-control in all things. They do it to receive a perishable wreath, but we an imperishable. Think about how hard an athlete trains and exercises and works to be the best that he can be. Uh, think of how those who compete in the Olympics, even today, how they train their entire lives day in and day out. And why? To win a prize that will not last. To win a trophy that will eventually be forgotten. But why do you and I run? What are we dedicating ourselves to and faithfully serving our Lord? Not a wreath that's going to wither away. Like, the, like we see in ancient Greece. Not to gain a trophy that will eventually be nothing more than a dust collector and will perish with everything else in this world. But no, we discipline ourselves. We work. We struggle. We train to win an imperishable prize. We compete for what is eternal. So how much more vigorously... How much more drive should we have to win this prize? What are we running for? Why are we competing? To win an imperishable crown. To come to the end of our run, uh, to the end of our life, and receive the crown with which Jesus will reward us. That must be our aim. Uh, living in light of standing before our Lord, who will judge our race, judge our service to him, who will determine how we competed to reward us in glory. This was the Apostle Paul's aim. As he said, continuing here in, in 1 Corinthians 9, in verses 26 and 27, he said, So I do not run aimlessly, I do not box as one beating the air, but I discipline my body and keep it under control, lest after preaching to others I myself should be disqualified. In light of standing before his Lord, to be judged for reward, the apostle would remain faithful. He would endure under hardship and continue to preach and run the course his Lord has laid out for him. And so the believer must also, too, run the course that the Lord has laid out for him. You and I must do this. And so, therefore, in doing this, you and I must endure suffering. That suffering that comes by being faithful. And therefore, we can't cut corners and we can't manipulate. But all of our service and our method in serving, all of it must come from God's word. It must be according to God's word. So we have to know God's word. As we serve, however we serve. As we serve our families in the home. As we serve in the workplace and and our lives are a testimony to those around us, and we, we look for opportunities and take opportunities to share the gospel. 
as we serve in the church. We can't make shortcuts. We can't make things go as, as we wish they would. Especially as we think of the church, we can't bend the ministry to avoid conflict, uh, to, to avoid the attacks of the world. We can't bend the ministry just to make it according to our own preferences either, that we make it about us, that we're serving ourselves. No, we saw in 1 Timothy that the church is to be how God desires the church to be. He's the commander. He's the one who has laid out the race. He's the judge. And we must run according to his rules. And that may mean then that there are those who won't like us and won't like what we do and what we say. That means that there are those who may choose to be offended by us. But when we stand on God's word together, we share in that suffering together, as Paul called Timothy to share in the suffering with him. And as we do, we know it will not be in vain. That when we cross the finish line, when our life on earth is done, there will be a crown. And we will hear from the one whom we aim to please, well done, good and faithful servant. And then as we come to verse 6, we see the final analogy that Paul uses here to describe faithful ministry. And that is of a hard-working, patient farmer. And this demonstrates to us that faithful ministry is hard work. The word here in verse 6 for hardworking is a word that means one working themselves to exhaustion. It carries the idea of exerting oneself physically, mentally, and spiritually. It even carries the idea of struggle, of a struggle. And so like a farmer who reaps a harvest from his exhausting labor, so to the one who faithfully serves will reap a reward from his hard work. And in this life, we may see that reward. We may see that, that reaping from our hard work uh, as we share the gospel and, and, and by God's grace may maybe see someone trust in Christ and be saved. Or as we pour ourselves and our labor into somebody else and discipling others and we see them grow and walk with the Lord and mature in their, their love and devotion to their Lord use, as God uses them for his glory. But sometimes too, we, we don't see that in this life. We don't see the product of our labor. And it may not be until eternity when all that has been unknown about our labor is revealed and we receive a crown. In any case, there is a reward for our labor. And so we see the, the Christian life is like a farmer who reaps a harvest. And so again, what do we see in this passage? What does faithful ministry and so suffering for Christ look like? It looks like a soldier who is willing to suffer, remaining undistracted from his duties with a singular aim to please his commander-in-chief. It looks like the athlete who competes within the rules of the competition and gains a crown. And again, lastly, faithful ministry looks like the farmer who labors diligently and patiently 
to gain the first share of his crop. And all of, them, this, all of this speaks to discipline, dedication, focus, and endurance. But in the end, we will be rewarded by our Lord. The Apostle Paul says in 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verse 58, Therefore, my beloved brothers, be steadfast, immovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, knowing that in the Lord your labor is not in vain. Faithful service to our Lord is service that does not let up, that does not back down in the face of the battle against the flesh and against the cultural pressures and against persecution. And we know what the end of our work and our suffering is. We know our reward being with Jesus, seeing Jesus. As we know one day we will stand before him, body and soul, complete and whole as he is. Ultimately, Christ is our reward. And when we are in our resurrected bodies, when we are raised and completely new, we will be fitted to be with our Lord forever. And this hope and this truth of being with our Lord is secured for us, not because of our work, not because of our service, not because of our suffering, but because of who our Lord Christ Jesus is and what he has done. Because of what he has done to forgive and deal with our sin. And so have this hope secured. And so we strive to serve faithfully, not to be saved, but because we have been saved. And so with this hope then, secured for us in Christ, this motivates our faithful service to please our Lord, to strive according to the scriptures and labor patiently for our Lord, knowing that in the Lord our labor is not in vain. In the Lord our labor is not in vain. If we labor in ourselves according to our own strength, for our own selves, then yes, our labor will be in vain. There will be no reward for that. But in the Lord, in the strength he provides, in his grace, for his glory, our labor will not be in vain. And so when it's hard to serve, when it costs something to be faithful, when we stand alone in order to stand on the truths of God's word, it may be hard and it may hurt, but Jesus will reward all of our dedication, all of our striving by his word, all of our labor. It will be rewarded on that last day as we continue faithfully, even if it means suffering. Let us suffer then with one another due to being faithful to our God and his word. But our sole aim then must be to please our master, uh, the one who has enlisted us into his service. We can't have divided aims. If we strive to please men, if we're more concerned about what other people think, if we want things to be even according to our own preferences, then we will be faithful to those things instead of being faithful to our Lord. So let us look to him for the grace and the strength that we need to serve him faithfully. And then we see there, finally, in verse 7, the Apostle Paul says to Timothy after all this, 
He says, think over what I say, for the Lord will give you understanding in everything. Timothy was to give careful consideration. He was to think deeply on what Paul was telling him. And if he did, Paul was sure the Lord would give him understanding in everything. As we said last week, Paul was looking to pass the baton of his ministry off to Timothy as Paul was awaiting his execution. He wanted Timothy to be strengthened in the grace that is in Christ Jesus and to take Paul's preaching and pass it on and entrust it to others who could then turn around and teach others as well. And so in all of Timothy's service, in remaining faithful, he would have to look at his life and consider what Paul was saying. Was he going to suffer like a soldier with his sole aim to please his commander? Was he going to have the discipline and dedication of an athlete who competed according to the book for a crown? Was he going to have the hard work and patience of a farmer who would eventually reap a harvest? We have to think about this ourselves. Are we ourselves willing to suffer and fight for the cause of Christ? Are we going to align our lives in the church, not according to our own will or the wills of other men, but according to God's word? Are we going to align the church according to what's pragmatic or according to God's word? As Paul called Timothy to ponder these things, so too we must ponder them and know that the Lord will give us wisdom to understand everything, to understand how we are to faithfully serve our Lord and what faithful ministry looks like as our aim is to please our great and awesome God. We are to live our lives with a singular focus. That we are to run to win a crown. And we are to labor to reap a harvest. Because that is what faithful ministry looks like. That's the Christian life. Lived for our Lord. Wherever we find ourselves, however we are called to serve, and as we consider this, there will be wisdom and understanding. As we live knowing that the day is coming when we will stand before our Lord to receive a reward. And what greater reward can there be for those of us who love the Lord, who long to be with the Lord? What greater reward can there be than to be in his presence and hear him say, well done, good and faithful servant, you have been faithful in a few things. I will make you roar over many things. Enter into the joy of your Lord. I think in light of that day, in light of those words, should press us on to faithful service now. Serving as a soldier who longs to please his commander now. Serving like an athlete, striving to win a prize. Striving now. And serving like a farmer now knowing that we will reap a harvest. To serve and be faithful now, knowing that this is what faithful ministry is. Let's pray. Thank you for listening to the sermon podcast of North Valley Baptist Church. For the complete sermon archive and more information about the church, please go to visitnvbc.com.